Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, a podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. My guest on this week's show is Dr. Joya Massa, a project scientist at the NASA Kennedy Space Center, working on the veggie growing system on the International Space Station. Hi, Joya. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. There are lots of gardeners here on Earth who won't understand why it's difficult to grow plants in space. Can you explain a little bit about the challenges for us? Sure. Um, you know, so the, the space environment, I mean, obviously we're not growing things outside, um, so so we don't have to worry about that. But for, for indoor growth, we have a few challenges when we're, um, you know, lacking Earth's gravity. And the main one that we've found so far is really the, 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 the lack of convection and the behavior of fluids. And so, you know, what this means for plants is plants obviously need water. We all know that. And some of us have killed plants for too <laughs> much sure or too have. little. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but there's another important thing that we don't tend to think about here on Earth, which is that the, the plant roots also need air. They need oxygen and they're respiring just like we're respiring. And in the absence of gravity, you know, water behaves very strangely. And I'm sure everyone who's listening has seen, you know, the, the, the astronauts playing with their drinks and blobs of water. Um, and if you add uh, air bubbles to those blobs of water, the air bubbles kind of all coalesce into one giant bubble in the center. And so you get kind of a shell of water around a, a big ball of air. And what this indicates is that water and air just don't mix well in, in microgravity. And, you know, that's a problem because plant roots need both. You know, here on Earth, if, if we, we have a, a, a lot of rain and the field gets really full of water, then your plants get flood, you know, stress. And if, if there's not a, a diminishing of that, the plants will eventually die. Um, you know, on the other side, if you have lots of air and no water, you, you've got this drought situation. And, and so when we're in space, getting that balance of air and water to the roots, when, when water coats surfaces and clings to things and kind of excludes that air is really hard. So that's been one of our biggest challenges so far is trying to get the, the air and water right. And then there are some other challenges, um, you know, challenges of just growing in a closed environment, making sure you have good ventilation because you don't have um, natural convection in space. So heat doesn't rise, air doesn't move. So you have to have fans to move that around. If we, we have the fans fail and, and we have, um, then we actually have a lot of problems as well. Um, fungus seem to do very well, but plants <laughs> not so much. And, and then, you know, when we... Um, when we go farther out, when we leave the protective magnetosphere of the Earth, then we're going to have a lot more challenges of radiation, you know, because there's a lot of radiation, galactic cosmic radiation, solar particle events that, that we're protected and shielded from now. And, and the space station generally is, except when it goes over the poles. Um, but as we go to the moon and onto Mars, that will become a very, you know, important issue for, you know, for the astronauts and the plants that they're growing. 
Okay, so a lot of challenges to overcome there. Now, you work with the veggie system, which is so cool, I have to say. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> so you work with the veggie system, um, which is helping to overcome some of those problems. And it means that the astronauts have been able to grow and even eat some of their own things on the, on the space station. Why is it important for us to be able to grow food in space? Well, you know, we have a, a really good packaged diet, and, and that's very suitable um, for the space station. There's about 180 different foods and around 20 or so beverages and condiments, so it's pretty diverse. Um, but if we were to store that diet for a long time, and, and our colleagues at Johnson Space Center have done these studies, the, the, the vitamins and the quality of the food degrades. And, and it's not uniform. It's not like every food degrades or every vitamin degrades. There's, there's some variability. But what that means is that if, you know, when we go to Mars, if we were to use that diet, we may actually have to send the food ahead of the crew yeah. so that when they land on Mars, the food's already there. So it may even have to like be there before they leave Earth because you, you want to know there's going to be food when you get there. And so that food may have to be stored for a considerable length of time. And what we're very concerned about is that, that the astronauts get all the nutrition they need. Um, another consideration is that even with the diverse diet they have and, and the high quality, because it's all got to rate very highly on a, on a tasting scale, yeah. um, over time, astronauts tend to lose weight. And these aren't people that need to lose weight, like many of us here. Um, these are very, very healthy individuals. They're very fit. They're exercising, you know, a couple hours every day, but they're still losing weight. And so what this indicates that maybe they're getting kind of tired of the diet, even even with that many different types of food. They're on about a, I can't remember, an eight or an 11 day rotation of, of meals. And so they may be suffering from menu fatigue. So we feel that that supplementing this packaged diet with fresh produce can help both of these issues. It can give um, more diversity to, to the diet, more creativity. They can make, you know, interesting salad combinations with the fresh vegetables. Um, but also they can get some of those nutrients like vitamin C that, that break down in the packaged diet. Yeah. So, you know, it's a combination, right? You want to have both um, enough food and you want to have enough nutrients in your food. And so we think plants can help with both of those. Um, and we also feel that plants probably are going to provide some behavioral health benefit. I think many of us on Earth and probably all of your listeners <laughs> yes. really understand, you know, the importance of having plants around you. And that's that's on Earth where we have this beautiful, lush planet. Yeah. When we're living and working in the extreme environments of space or other planets, um, you know, I think that could be even more important. Yeah. Okay. So I know that um, before you even try growing a plant in space, you have a, a very long process you go through here on Earth to select the best varieties to try. Can you tell us a little bit about that process, please? Sure. Yeah. So uh, it actually it, it starts young. Uh, we <laughs> actually work with a team of very young scientists, middle school students and high school students through a program called Growing Beyond Earth. Um, which is run by the Fairchild Tropical Botanic Gardens in Miami. Um, and they're helping us to select, they have um, small um, veggie-like systems that are in their classrooms in normal years. They're doing a slightly slightly different thing this, this time of year. 
Um, in normal years, they're actually testing out wide varieties of different crops to identify, you know, if, if one plant can grow well in 50 different classrooms with, you know, some places being at high altitude, some at low, some with air conditioning, some without, some students watering a lot, some forgetting to water, you know, you've got this wide spectrum of environmental, yeah. you know, variability. And if that plant variety grows well in all those different situations, it might be a good candidate for space. And so we get the data from all of these students around the United States who've been helping us. Um, and then that helps to identify which which crops could be good candidates. Then um, we test those and, and other crops that we hear about that might be good candidates in our controlled environment chambers at Kennedy Space Center, where we can mimic the temperature, the relative humidity, the carbon dioxide level, um, and the lights that we would find on space station. And we may even test under different um, watering and nutrient delivery approaches and kind of our, our, our water delivery test beds. Um, and, and then crops that do well in those situations then get tested in, for instance, the veggie hardware or the advanced plant habitat hardware, the actual hardware yeah. that will grow in space station. So we have this sort of series, we call them crop readiness levels, which kind of mimics um, what NASA does with technology, where they have technology readiness levels. And we, we, you know, we first kind of like, well, we, we hear of this crop, it might be good. Then, you know, we test it under the different types of conditions. We also look for microbial food safety. We want to make sure that the, the crops are, you know, don't have a lot of microbes on their leaves or they don't attract things that could be potentially harmful for the crew because it's not so easy to clean your produce. We might test our cleaning methods with it. Uh, we'll test how to sanitize the seeds because we don't want to send up dirty seeds. So we try to clean the surface of the seeds. Um, so, so we test all of those things. And then, you know, if, if we have good candidates, then, then we, we test them in flight. Yep. That's a lot of work that you have to go through there, isn't it? Um, so can you explain what the thought process was behind sending zinnias into space to grow in veggie? Cause I, that was a very iconic experiment. Yeah, yeah, that that was fun. Uh, it was <laughs> it, uh, so when we were planning the first sets of plants for veggie, we you know we knew okay we want to try an edible crop, but for the very first test, we weren't actually allowing the astronauts to to eat the the produce because we needed to get food safety data, and then we had to work. And it actually took quite a while, but we worked with the microbiology, the flight safety, and the flight surgeons uh, at Johnson Space Center to make sure that they were okay with the, the, the crew growing and eating. So, so we sent two sets of the red Roman lettuce so that they would grow one, send it back, and then they could grow and hopefully eat the second one. And we weren't entirely sure at what sequence that would happen, you know, and how long it would take. But we yeah. thought, well... Let's send a non-edible crop that's going to give us some valuable information um, that they could grow in between if they want to or, or later, you know, when it, depending on the timing. Um, so it actually ended up being grown after they grew and ate the second set of lettuce. But we selected zinnias. Um, this variety is a very fast-growing variety, and we wanted to try to see if the veggie chamber was capable of supporting flowers because you have to have flowers before you have fruit. 
for fruit crops like yeah. tomatoes and peppers and peas and things like that. And so, um, so the zinnia was kind of a pathfinder for these fruit crops. Um, and we also wanted to send something just ornamental and, and beautiful. Um, and so, you know, I started testing these um, well before we, we sent them to space. And, and as soon as I saw these, you know, I tested a variety of different ornamentals. I tested marigolds and coleus and sweet peas and I can't even remember all of the different <laughs> things, but um, a bunch of different varieties. And, and the zinnias were just, they were just so breathtaking. I mean, they, they just continued to flower. They also had some added benefits because um, some of the crops, oh, I tested petunia as well. Yeah. And some of the crops tended to, to drop their flowers and make a fair amount of debris. Um, and, you know, that's not something you want floating around the space environment. And the zinnias were great. They didn't shed a lot of visible pollen and they retained their petals. So even when the flowers were really old, they almost dried in place. Yeah. Um, and they didn't just drop dead petals or, or dead sepals or anything. Um, so they were really pretty ideal. Um, they, they also had the nice compact growth features that we wanted and and then the fact that they just kept flowering and they had so many flowers so uh we actually selected a five color blend so we we and the astronauts would be surprised at which <laughs> ones grew um and um you know we had some challenges with them but yeah. i think in general they were they were a really great success after the challenges were overcome yeah, because, I mean, uh, you gave Scott Kelly permission to sort of go his own way and be a bit more of a gardener, didn't you? Well, and that was exactly what we wanted. And so, you know, it, it's it's really interesting when you're doing things on Space Station because there's many layers between, you know, the, the scientists on the ground and the astronauts in the Space Station. And, and those are there for everyone's safety and protection and to make sure that all the procedures are, are clear and, and understandable. Um, but... When we had the challenges with the Zinnia, which ended up being a hardware challenge due to, to air circulation, and, and that led to water buildup and some fungal growth, um, you know, Scott said, you know, look, this is really silly. I should be the one deciding, you know, how much water to give the plants and when. And we said, you know, exactly. When, when we have astronauts on Mars, we're not going to be telling them how much to water their plants. They're the people on the spot. They they are, are fully capable of making those decisions. And, and, you know, these are brilliant people. And so we had to convince the people in the middle to <laughs> control, <laughs> yeah. you know, all the science on the space station. But when he asked and we said, oh, yes, we totally agree, then they were comfortable. We came up with kind of an, a gardening guide, you know, for, for the on-orbit gardener to, to help. And they were totally comfortable with the astronauts taking a much more um, independent role to conducting that, that science. And, you know, after Scott, we had, you know, a number of other astronauts who, who were just really great at, at um, making those decisions and growing the plants. And not everybody's comfortable with that. And, and I understand that. And so, the idea was it would only be when astronauts wanted that autonomy yeah. and, you know, we would always be there on the ground to help provide um, support as needed. So it, it worked out really well. That's good. I mean, you can't expect all astronauts to have green thumbs, can you? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get a lot of feedback from the astronauts that they enjoy working with the plants? We do. Um, you know, we see a lot of it. Um, 
kind of passively. They they post a lot of things on Twitter, Instagram, and we've gotten a lot of wonderful information from, from those social media posts. But we do debrief the crew after they fly and, and ask them, you know, questions. And generally, their, their responses are in, incredibly um, positive to the plants. And then most recently, last year in the VEGO4 experiments, we actually had official human research as part of these experiments. And so um, we had two, two aspects. We actually had a taste test on orbit, the organoleptic evaluation that they do for the, the food. So they rated the fresh produce. This was Mizuna mustard. And we have um, behavioral health uh, surveys. So we had the crew filling out surveys both before flight and then also in flight and post flight on on you know the importance of plants in their lives and fresh vegetables and how how you know how they they like to eat them and then when they were in flight you know how they like the veggie and and how they like having the plants and so we're still putting all of the data together from last year but in general everything was pretty positive and even the people that didn't really um, maybe enjoy the plant activities as much saw the value of having the plants. Yeah. So I think that's something that, that, you know, and we've heard that time and time again from astronauts, they, they realize the importance of this for long duration exploration. That's really positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about growing the zinnias uh, as a sort of prelude to growing fruit. And I know that there are plans to grow tomatoes and peppers. Um, mm -hmm. Do we have a timescale for that? Well, uh, the tomatoes have been a bit delayed. Um, we, we've had some hardware challenges and we're working on developing kind of a more um, autonomous growing system for veggie um, that, that will hopefully help because tomatoes take a long time to grow. So right now it's looking like those are maybe in the 2022 timeframe, okay. hopefully early in 2022. Um, the peppers are actually going to be grown not in veggie, but in the advanced plant habitat, which is more of our um, plant physiology research chamber. So for your, uh, your listeners who may not be as familiar, veggie is a very simple system. It, it's only powered components are lights and fans, and everything else is, is controlled by either the space station, the atmosphere, you know, or yeah. by the astronauts manually watering. Advanced plant habitat, on the other hand, it's, it's a little bit bigger growing area, but it's also got, you know, 180 sensors and control systems or, or more than that, controlling all of the different aspects of the environment. It's also got cameras and other things. So it's, it's a real plant physiology tool to, to understand plants. And the peppers are going to be grown in that chamber, hopefully early next year or next, next spring. Um, and these are uh, a slightly spicy um, Espanola improved hatch chili pepper. So they'll hopefully give the astronauts some zinc. And we did get approval to be able to do, use the same crew questionnaires that we've been using um, last year with, with the crew to, to do that with the peppers as well. So we'll collect some data on that. That is really exciting. I'm going to be looking forward to that then next year. That sounds that's really positive. Okay, mm -hmm. so... If I can take you to a, a sort of more personal note, um, mm -hmm. looking towards the future, if you were able to join a colony on the moon or on Mars and you could only take one plant with you uh, to be your personal plant, what would you choose? 
Yeah, this is a tough one, you it know, is. and I've thought about <laughs> this a lot. And, 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 and so I'll go through my, my thought process a little bit. So, right. so I have this sort of personal philosophy on food, which is that either chocolate or garlic makes pretty much everything better. Absolutely. So at first I was thinking, well, I could do dwarf cacao trees, but you know, that's not <laughs> a very efficient process. And, and garlic, though more efficient, is still mm. perhaps not as, as useful as when you can take it dried or, or packaged. Yeah. So then I was thinking, well, you know, in a pinch, you know, you would want a plant that would be tough and that would be, be a survivor that would also be easy to grow and kind of a pleasure to grow. And it really came back to sweet potato. Oh. Um, and, you know, this is an interesting one. I, I did a lot of work with sweet potato before I came to Kennedy Space Center. Um, and it's it's a really very fun plant to grow in a lot of ways. It's in the morning glory family. Yeah. And so it does have flowers that look like morning glories, which I quite like, quite beautiful. But it's also this, you know, amazing vine plant that you can train the vines um, to, to grow in different shapes and sizes. So it's very versatile. It isn't grown from seeds. Um, I don't know that it can be. Maybe it can be, but generally it's grown from cuttings. Yeah. But it roots so easily. You can have these vines sitting, drying in the sun for a week, cut them off, put them in dirt, and it will root and grow a new plant. So it's one of the most um, resilient plants mm. that I know of, which I think would be a good thing yeah. uh, in a space habitat. And it... Um, it grows very quickly. It also, it, it likes stress, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least some stresses. Um, I did a series of studies where I looked at different size containers for it. And if you put these plants in a very big, lush, happy container, they didn't form very many storage roots. Mm. But if you put them in a tight container where there were some pressure and stress, they would rip it apart with the storage wow. roots that they would form. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it's quite beautiful. The other really interesting aspect is certain varieties of sweet potato, you can eat the roots, which we're all familiar with, but you can also eat the young shoots and yeah. leaves um, as either a salad vegetable or a cooked green. So the versatility, I think, was is, is really nice there. Um, and it, it just, it, it made me happy to grow it. You know, it, 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 it was so reliable. And, and even if you stressed it out, it just sort of recovered. And so I think that would be the one I'd take. That sounds like a fantastic choice. It's interesting, actually, because in, in the UK here in, my, in our climate, we really struggle to grow sweet potatoes. They're really quite mm -hmm. difficult. So I have tried and failed in the past. So maybe I just need to go into space and then I'll have better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, you know, a, a very sunny greenhouse. It likes it, likes it you know, very, very bright and yeah. hot. So, yeah, that, that could that could help. But, um yeah, I haven't done as much work with it in a controlled environment, but I know it has been grown in controlled environments. And uh, our colleagues at Tuskegee University in, in the U.S. have done a lot of work on this crop, um, also looking at different food items that can be made for it. Because, you know, because it's sweet, I think it would add that aspect yeah. to the diet that you might not otherwise get. Yeah, it's a very versatile vegetable, isn't it? Well, that is fantastic. I think that is a, a brilliant choice. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your exciting work with us. Well, that's my pleasure. Thank you.
That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who would like to support the show. If you want to become a regular supporter, you can sign up via patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy to gain access to extended episodes and bonus content. I'll be back next week with an interview with Space Lab's Christine Escobar, who's going to tell us all about the amazing microgravity lily pond experiment that went into space on a New Shepard rocket. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens is Mission Control. We're confirming termination of your signal. The Grand Control team would like you to rerun the radish cropping experiment. Apparently, there was a bit of a mix-up with the samples you sent down, and the technicians had them for lunch. They did say to tell you they were very tasty. Mission Control.